the Atlanta Braves game with the Boston Red Sox, mm-hmm. in, yep. <laughs> in which in which the pitch clock expired, and a game is six to six. And let's see, yeah, it, it, was, yeah, uh, it was the winning yeah. run is on third base. It, the bases were loaded. Is that what it was? Two right? outs and a full count. Two outs and a full count. <laughs> and the hitter, <laughs> the hitter was not aware of the pitcher. That was the call. And he he was exceeded the limit and strike three and the game ended in a six six tie. Yeah. So it, tie. now that's not going to happen in Major League Baseball, of course. You nor in any other game because in spring training ties, who cares? It doesn't make any difference. But in the in Major League Baseball, heavens yes, it's 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 a matter of adjustment. It's fourteen seconds if nobody's on base, eighteen seconds if somebody's on base. It'll be the pitchers will get used to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a matter of just rethinking what you're doing and being aware of what the circumstances are. And the same with the batters. You're going to find batters who will test it, test the umpire's credibility and so forth as to whether or not he's going to call it. Let's stop right there because the you know one of the great things about baseball is there's never been a clock. This is the first time that there's been a clock at the major league level. There's been at some minor league levels in the past. How did you feel? I know you and I are kind of purist when it comes to baseball, Ned, but how did you feel watching that yesterday? Well, I must admit to you, I, I didn't see I was over to college games. Oh, okay. In which they have a 20-second clock. Now, that's new for college baseball and new for high school baseball this year, the 20-second clock. Mm. And I did see it called in the college game I was watching, much to the chagrin of everybody involved because you're not really adjusted to it. In in the uh, there's there were two games Friday and Saturday that I saw Saturday's game is an anomaly because there were sixteen walks in the game mm-hmm. so you really couldn't make a judgment and the game uh, it covered five hours and fifteen minutes so you can't make a judgment on uh, alacrity of time but in terms of yesterday's game yeah I thought it went by a whole lot quicker as opposed to what it should be or what what it would have been. It was maybe 2.20, 2.15, 2.20, somewhere around there. And I did notice a, a change in the pace of the game and the way the uh, pitchers were moving and the way the base runners uh, were able to. Now, the the throwing over to first base is not in college or high school baseball, only in the big leagues. But the fact of the matter remains, I did perceive the game as moving along quicker. And last year, with the pitch clock with the Springfield Cardinals, their games, I'm told by the guy who keeps charge of the clock over there, that indeed they were a good 20 to 25 minutes faster than they had been. Hmm. Alec, you watched the Cardinals play. What were your thoughts on the pitch clock? You know, I've they talked about it a lot. It definitely seemed to blend into the background in terms of the vi- like visual presentation. But I don't know. I I have felt it's almost become a problem where I feel like every single pitch the batter would step out adjust his gloves, step back in. I almost think it's going to be more of an adjustment for the batters than the pitchers because the pitchers are really in a rhythm of mm-hmm. set, throw, return ball, set, throw. And I think I think you'll see them adjust quick, especially with minor leaguers having dealt with this for a while, the guys that are coming up. There's, this, is, this is not new, so they'll adjust right away. But I, something, something to be said about taking a game where your average time can be dropped by about half an hour, you know, I – I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I think one of the best things that could have happened for Major League Baseball yesterday was that bottom of the ninth full count. (laughs) Have it happen now in spring training. Let everybody see it and know that the umps are not messing around. They will call it. doesn't matter the stage. You need to be cognizant of it. Let's stop right there and and let's 
clear this up for everybody that's not familiar with the there's a lot of nuances to this rule it's not just a the pitcher has to throw a pitch in this amount of time in the situation that it was yesterday in the game bases were loaded he had 18 seconds to throw the baseball when he got the ball got set on the mound ready to throw the batter had his head down at eight seconds which is not enough time for the pitcher to throw his pitch within the pitch clock. And he was unaware of the pitcher, and the umpire called a strike at that moment, ending the game. And that is the little nuance of it. Not only is the pitcher on the clock, but the batter mm-hmm. is on the clock right. too. Josh, you did some research? Well, yeah, when reading about that, there, like you said, there is some nuance to that because it's not just – the pitcher gets the ball and he has X number of seconds to throw it. The batter has to be in the box. The batter has to be ready for to receive the pitch or ready for the pitch to be thrown. And so you can't delay. Like it, They set it up that way so that the batter can't cause the pitcher to fail. And so it, it's going to be interesting because I agree. I think the adjustment is going to be with the batters more than the pitchers because the pitcher gets in a rhythm – Pitcher wants to throw that ball as fast as they can sometimes to catch the batter off guard or not ready. And so now you've established this little unit here where they both have to be ready for it to happen. I think it's cool that it is going to shorten the game. It's going to be interesting to see how, if it does affect Major League Baseball outcomes this season. I hope it doesn't in a bad way. I hope it's a positive thing. But you always wonder. I mean, when they... When they did VAR in professional soccer, they, they complain all the time about it, but they're getting calls right that wouldn't have been right in the past. And that's what you hope, is that they don't screw something up or, or influence the outcome of a game because a batter is perceived as not being ready. The subtlety that uh, I'm most fascinated with in baseball is the two pitches that you're allowed to throw to first base. And after that, you can't throw one. Mm-hmm. You can't throw a pitch over to first base. You're only allowed two of them per runner. Now, the catcher can throw down as many times as he wants. But if you – and you guys are perfectly aware, that's an, that's an odd motion for a catcher to throw. Yachty is the best one I've ever seen in baseball. Roy Campanella was very good, but Yachty or Molina was the best. He could rifle that ball down to first base and sometimes catch a runner off. Well, they can do that as many times. There's not going to be any Yachty Molina. But the fact is that you can do that whenever you want by the catcher. The pitcher, twice. Now, we'll assume he exhausts his two pitches. That runner will be able to take a massive lead off first base, assuming that he can get back in time if the catcher, or he's going to go to second base. Right. It's to promote stolen bases. How they adjusted that, I'm, I'm very interested in how they're going to be able to do that. Well, that's all part of the, the new plan with Major League Baseball. I will, I'll tell you that I watched bits and pieces of about three games yesterday, and I like the pace of the game. And as a coach, one of the things I always told my kids was get into a rhythm. Get, you know, throw your pitch, come off the mound, come back to the mound, get in a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And you could see pitchers doing that. They were just establishing a rhythm for themselves. There was a lot less messing around. So, you know, as not an advocate of the pitch clock, I enjoyed watching the game yesterday. Now, what Ned was alluding to is that they can only throw up to first twice when uh per, during during the bat per runner per runner mm-hmm. and so there's some strategy that plays in with that they are trying to promote base stealing and the other way 
that they're promoting base stealing is the size of the base. Yeah, larger larger bases, but that down here was in effect last year. So we did see it a little bit and and yeah, it does play it does play a role. <laughs> I love Major League Baseball's excuse for doing that. Yeah, not necessarily to promote stealing, it's to prevent injuries to the first baseman. Well, I don't think I've ever seen a first <laughs> baseman get spiked by anybody going in. Sure it could happen, but so could earthquakes. Not since the days of Ty Cobb. <laughs> and, he, and he was on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll, you're right, though. The larger bases will be in there. The pitch clock, the batter throwing over, the pitcher throwing over to first base twice. These are all some of the nuances that will be going into a baseball this year. And it's going to present a whole different picture. I'm excited to see the steals because I think they will go up. because they So they said on the broadcast yesterday from 15 by 15 to 18 by 18. Doesn't, right. doesn't sound like a ton, but when you think of how many plays are banged back yeah. close within, yep. yeah. within a fraction of a second, just one little movement away, and now your fingertips are going to touch the bag just that half a second sooner, and it could make all the difference. So I'm curious to see if steals rise. I'm sure attempts will rise, especially because they can't check the runner at first as often. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about what I think is going to be the biggest rule. Cause I think the pitch clock is going to fade into the background by a quarter point of the year. Guys will adjust. We might see a rare ball and strike here and there, but especially these pitchers, I think other than a here or there notorious slow worker, it's, they're going to work through it, but it's the shift being banned. That's going to be the biggest change. I I am excited, a little excited and nervous to see what happens because this is going to be a big step to let the hitting catch up to what's been dominant pitching here recently. Now, Josh, is your excitement positive or negative? Overall, I think I said the, Josh. I'm Alec. Alec. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm an old man. I was just I was going to roll with it. Josh was smiling. Yeah, I could have let him answer, but we, overall, I think I'm excited. It's you know on, and, but I'm but I'm also torn because on the one hand, if you know a guy only hits it to one side of the field, why can't I put all? If I want to put eight men in the outfield, as silly as that is, I part of me thinks you should be allowed to do that. You'll lose, but you know it's it's your lineup. Do what you feel is best. But it had gotten so, like, you rarely saw a defense align normally. They just were always shifted. So I'll be curious to see if if averages jump by a huge margin, then maybe I'm not a big fan of it. If things don't change as much as, as maybe I think they will, then it could be an okay thing. I'm I need glad to, to hear you say that, too, because uh, like Joe, and we're, we're old-timers. We saw the way it was. Now, I'm older than all of you. I saw the shift for Ted Williams. Back in the 40s when he put it on, and he just hit it over their heads. He right. hit it out of sight. And the same for Stan Musial, and he would be up there. They would have a semi-shift on for him. It has happened before. There is no rule that says you can't do that until now. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody comes up with a defensive alignment like that that's going to be effective, and you have to bring in a new rule to stop it? I do not like that at all. You adjust as a player. But Mr. Manfred has said, no, no, we're going to – we're going to outlaw that shift. Well, I disagree with the whole premise. Matt Carpenter, when he was with the Cardinals, had every opportunity for a couple of years to beat that shift and never could, nope. never adjusted. I think one reason is that Major League Baseball wants to promote power hitters, mm-hmm. and they want to promote the offense and so forth and so on, and they want the sluggers to do their thing. Disagree with it. It's a game of adjustment, and if you can't adjust, then you get out. 
to read extra. Well, here's where here's where you and I start to disagree right away because since I'm I'm a purist, I think the spirit of the game is being defiled, shall we say, with <laughs> the shift word. because that was not the intention of the people that created the game. It was not the intention that it was it's kind of like you, you think you don't have to legislate something you you think that you don't have to tell people not to do something or you have to make up a rule and you know you know don't flush your money down the toilet or something like that but then somebody does it and you have to make up a rule for it and that's exactly where this is is that i don't think that that was the that's the spirit of the game well, I can't disagree with that premise, but the, it, nonetheless, it was part of the game, and people could have done it a long time ago. There's no rule that legislature says that you can't. It's very similar now. You say, well, there were no rules against somebody standing in the basketball lane for three seconds until um, George Mikan came along, and that was the rule that was established for him. You can't. Well, that's a physical disadvantage. There is no physical advantage in having a shift. The same with Wilt Chamberlain. When he came in, you couldn't throw it over the backboard and have him go up and dunk it in. Again, a physical advantage by an individual. I, those I do understand. But this one I don't. I just don't. I know it was not. No, it's not part of the spirit of the game. But what is the spirit of the game? It's, yeah, to have the four players in position. But if you can come up with a, a, a rule or a gimmick or a, ta- a tactic to defeat that, then utilize it if somebody's smart enough to do it, and they were. They came up with it. But The rule specifically states that there has to be two players on either side of second base. Mm-hmm. Now, you can move your shortstop all the way over to the very edge of that, and that is a, 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 you know the traditional shift of baseball. And the infielders cannot be on the grass. They have to be on the dirt. Hmm. So that is the that is the rule. I'm wholeheartedly in favor of this because I thought the shift was destroying the game. I think that you're going to see batting averages go up this year. I think you're going to see some better hitting, some better strategy. You're going to see more hit and runs. You're going to see more steals. You're going to see a more small ball, which is what I'm a huge fan of. And I mean, for me, it's you see it in others. You've seen it in the NFL. The, the spirit of the game aside, the business of the game is offense puts butts right. and shares and puts viewer gets people watching. And Major League Baseball wants more runs. And as pitching has gotten better, velocities have gone up and batting has fallen down, they felt they needed to do something to, to address it. And like you said, small ball had almost all but disappeared ever since the Royals won that World <laughs> Series. That was the last team I can recall that really played effective small ball. And now it's the teams that are left are the teams that have five guys that hit 20-plus home runs or more. And, that's... and it's basically watching strikeouts and home runs. Yep, right. And it and it's not the game that I can, I can safely say it's not the game that I grew up loving. And I know it's not the game you grew up loving. Ned. It's different. No, no, I will freely admit that it's different. And you're right, it's strikeouts or home runs, one or the other. That part of it I do not like. But the you've got to face the facts. That's what it is. And... The, the whole circumstance is different now, but again, we will all make the adjustments and continue right. to enjoy what I consider to be the greatest game. Well, I mean, we're, we've got the Cardinals game on in the studio right now, and uh, you know they've gotten three hits to start out the game. I don't know who that was at the plate, but they went down and got a pitch. That was Arenado. Uh, Arenado, he went down and got a pitch, and, and they were playing so deep, he was able to dump it in front of them. And 
And I just like that type of baseball. I just like seeing singles and doubles and doing that type of thing rather than home runs all the time. <laughs> Are there any other major rule changes we need to know about that uh, we, we covered the shift, we've covered uh, the base size, we've covered throwing over to first, and we've covered the pitch clocks? Or anything else I, that I'm missing here? I what don't think it? they could cram anything else. In <laughs> it's a lot is of changes. Is that enough for you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> already, already changed the game to such, a, to such an extent that, uh, no, there's not going to be room for anything else. It'll be how the players are made a- able to make the adjustment to it and how that occurs, I think, is going to be the ultimate determination as to whether or not it succeeds. Let, let me ask you, everybody, this, and we'll start out with you, Ned. Um, I mean, we're here, and I'm sure that if none of these changes were made, we would probably start out the show with talking about baseball being beginning and the spring training games. But have you can, can you recall a time that anybody's paid as much attention to Major League Baseball, the first spring training games in the last decade or no, more. No, I will admit to you that, that has not been the case. Now, this year, it's, it's kind of a double double circumstance because we have the and there's World another baseball, single. baseball Classic going on and all these rules changes. So as a result, I think you've seen a whole lot more coverage from the media and opinions and so forth and so on. So, yeah, I guess that's a positive. When people are talking about it, it does make a difference. Keep the line moving is what the coach would say. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what the Cardinals have done in the first inning of this game. They loaded the bases, and then that's Goldschmidt, I assume, that came up, and he just – Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman, Gorman, and that probably would have been an out in the shift. He actually hit it so hard the second baseman could do it. Your thoughts, Alec? I mean, have you – I know you and I during the week have talked about the start of baseball, and I kind of put the rule changes to the back of my mind. Uh, so bye bye small ball. That's a home run. <laughs> <laughs> well, Card- Cardinals up. Jordan Walker nothing. just hitting hitting yeah. a three run home run. If you're a Cardinal fan, you obviously Good. love Good. to see that, and we want yeah. plenty of that this spring. Can you recall any time in your life when Oof. it's been exciting talking about major league, major league baseball? I was like, not for the past while. I mean, you know, that and that's that's been baseball's biggest problem. As the as I've gotten older, I've just you know you hear more and more of baseball's reputation as it's the slow, it's it's boring. People aren't as interested in it, and to get buzz for it is going to be healthy for the sport. To get try and get more eyes on it, you know, ultimately I think that is a good thing. Well, as long as you don't hurt the quality of play, which you know ultimately I don't think any of these new rules will necessarily hurt it. Like we've been saying all along, you just. These guys are the best in the world at what they're doing. They will they will figure it out even if it takes some time, and that's exactly why you have spring training. They can get down here and they can work out the kinks. You have spring training also for another reason. Some of the old-timers, the retreads, get a chance to come back, except if your name is Johnny Cueto, and he has just gotten rocked for five <laughs> runs here. He got the start <laughs> for Miami here. and I mean, the Cardinals have been building him all over the lot except for that one strikeout. But, hey, Jordan Walker getting up there and hitting a three-run homer. Don't be surprised if he makes the big club. This guy's a really, really good player. And Mason Wynn won't be too far behind him, not in my opinion. Josh is our uh, – he's not a big baseball fan, but he's he's trying this year for us. Yeah. Did the rules play part of that for you? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, there is more excitement this year. Being being on the outside looking in, being a much more casual baseball fan than the rest of you guys, there is a lot more press about it. There's a lot more excitement. People want – I think the majority of baseball fans want to see small ball just as much as they want to see home runs. I think the casual fan wants to tune in and see every player hit a home run and the score is 19 to 20, you know, but – 
I think anybody who truly enjoys the sport of baseball and understands baseball wants that strategy. They want to see a base hit, a stolen base, a sack fly, RBI. They want to see that kind of stuff. And I think you will see more of that now. Now, I have a question to pose to you guys. Do you think one feeds the other? Like, we were just watching couple singles, couple singles, then a three-run homer. Do you think small ball will help the power, the true power hitters to be able to get that pitch that they need to hit more yep. home runs? Absolutely. I think it will, personally. Absolutely. That was Earl Weaver's philosophy. Well, yeah, that's part – to me, that's part of baseball. It's kind of like in football we talk about the run sets up the pass. In baseball, I feel like small ball sets up the home run. It does. And small, I think small ball is predicated on just – seeing a lot of pitches make a pitcher work oh, yeah. and the more you make him throw the more likely he is to make a mistake and when he makes a mistake to the wrong guy that's when you right. take a yard the, the ideal start to a baltimore orioles baseball game when i was a kid uh-huh. would be that that leadoff hitter would see five six seven pitches he would walk or get it get on base somehow he would be sacrificed over to second base by the by the second place hitter who was always a good contact man your third place hitter was your best hitter on your club and he would single or something. You'd have runners at first and third, with one out, and then your power hitter came up. A guy like, uh, you know, like uh, I can't think of his Eddie name. Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray would come mm-hmm. up, and then he'd hit a three-run homer. Sure. That was that was Earl Weaver's game plan, yeah, right I, there. And I love that. I love to see that in baseball. It puts pressure on the defense. It puts pressure on the uh, puts pressure on the pitcher. And they were talking about that yesterday. I was watching the Reds game, and one of the I would always preach this to my kids. And that is take hard turns. When you single, mm-hmm. take a really hard turn, an aggressive turn, like you're going to go to second pace. Force the outfielders to come up fast and throw. Force the defense to make a mistake. If we could see baseball like that again, man, <laughs> that, that, that'd be a dream come true. And I for feel me. like that's part of the excitement that has waned in the in the last few years of baseball because of what you guys are talking about. It's strikeouts and home runs because they think that's what is going to put people in seats, but exciting baseball is what will keep the fans coming exactly when we come back we'll talk a little bit about the chiefs and what's next for them because super bowl celebrations are over it's ned talk you're listening to ned talk on 104.7 the cave part of the kansas city chiefs radio network back to ned talk on 104.7, The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Yes, we are world champion, Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Major change this week. We uh, talked about it last week when Eric Bieniemy took the job with the Commanders. They have named his replacement. Ned, tell us and give us your thoughts on that. Well, hardly a surprise. Mike no. Nagy had come over after being a head coach for the Chicago Bears, had been with the Chiefs. In, uh, in in an offensive scheme of things on their coaching staff, and he was obviously the choice to take over as the offensive coordinator. I'm of the opinion, and it's simply mine, I don't have any any insight into the thinking behind this, but Mr. Biennemi's decision, I have a feeling, is based on the fact that right before he made that decision, the Chiefs, or the word, not necessarily the Chiefs, but the word was revealed that when Andy Reid retires, and it's not going to be anytime soon, but when he retires, that Mike Nagy would probably be the individual to get that job. And a day later, Mr. Bienemy is in negotiation with the Washington Commanders. I think what he said was, hey, my future here is done. 
I can continue probably on as a, an offensive coordinator, but I would like to give head coaching a try somewhere along the line. And <laughs> Washington, where they change coaches as much as you do cards in a poker game, <laughs> the, and I think he felt like that was probably the best opportunity for him to succeed at that level. Mike Nagy will do a very good job. I don't think he changes the offense one bit. I don't know about his relationships with Mahomes, but I would have to assume that it's a pretty good one. But he's the individual who will take over. Now, the, he this is his second stint with the Kansas City Correct. Chiefs. He was the offensive coordinator previously before Eric Bieniemy had the job. Mm-hmm. And then he took the head coaching job in Chicago. We know he did not have a very successful tenure there. Lost his job, came back to Kansas City. I. Uh, He's obviously from the Andy Reid coaching tree. He's got that background. So do you think you'll see much of a change with the Chiefs? Nope. I think they go ahead and continue on with exactly the same philosophical move that they had because I think Andy Reid is the guy calling the shots. Now, Mr. Nagy will certainly be able to have some input as to what is decided upon and what they do and what they don't do. But the fact is that Andy Reid is the offensive genius. He's the one who comes up with the game plan, and he's not changing. He's he's sticking with what's successful, right. and it's pretty doggone successful. What are your thoughts on this, Alec? Oh, it just seems like the very logical, you know, natural thing to do if you lose a guy like the enemy, bring in someone who's already been there is familiar with it you know i'm i'm with you ned i don't think much changes they've got a guy in there who's honestly they probably can't remember what you were doing a few years ago when you were here yep still that as you can tell it's still working pretty well so let's go ahead and keep this train rolling so i do i think it was a good decision again it's it's always going to be the thing with kansas city when you have such a and it, it's it's everywhere it's everywhere where you have an offensive minded head coach the the talks always going to be yes they have an offense coordinator but who's really calling the shots and in the best system i think it's both you know they feed off each other it's two guys who can work together call each other out for what's not working help build off what is with each other and that seems to be a relationship that they have and are looking to continue to build on josh i you know i guess you would say that if the Chiefs were to lose Eric Bieniemy, this would be the best ideal situation for it. Oh, I agree. I, I think you. This is a meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, not. I don't think anything will change except we, we'll get to see. I mean, I will get to see once and for all who is who is calling all the silly trick plays. <laughs> if it was Mahomes audibling into those, or if it was Bieniemy calling them himself, because I don't feel like that's Nagy's. Thing. I think he's more of a, a nuts and bolts type of guy. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, their offense is so stellar. There's no reason to change anything. You know, maybe he'll see a few new plays that they can throw in that he thinks will be successful. But yeah, I think it's business as usual. And right. I wish B enemy the best. Yeah, I do too. I, I think there's a lot of people out there saying that he won't succeed in Washington. I hope that he does. I think the only thing that's going to keep him from succeeding in Washington, two words sum that up. Daniel Snyder, right, would sum that up. Yeah, the worst owner, and well, yeah, I mean, perhaps the worst owner of all. Sports. If he he has the ability to make Washington a better offensive team, the the key is going to be does he have the, does he have enough talent to be able to do that? And that's I think that's the question with Washington. Do they have a good enough team to be competitive? And, and and bottom line is the horses you have out on the field. Rivera is a fine coach. Oh, yeah. My goodness, yeah. he, he, he knows great. the game backward and forward. I think one time he played for the Chiefs many, many years ago. 
if he can't get it done with the talent they have, that gives you an idea that indeed the, the basic, the core of the team is not good enough. Right. Simple matter of that. And the coach, I don't care who you have, you have Newt Rockney in there. He's not going to have any success if you don't have the horses. And I, just, I don't know how that team, you know, with, with all the noise that goes around from that ownership level, Snyder down, they, they, can, they say all the right things, they carry themselves well, but I don't know how that doesn't permeate into the day-to-day with all the scandals. Their stadium literally fell apart on Jalen Hurts last year. I mean, things just go awry. And then the number one reason a lot of teams don't have success, they don't have a quarterback. And that's going to be what the enemy is going to have to tangle with now. I I, again, he's got all the X's and O's you need, but if you don't have a guy out there and perform, it doesn't, you know, I can't execute an NFL game plan no matter how good my coach is. <laughs> right. What Alec was referring to, incidentally, the stadium falling apart is that uh, Hertz is leaving the field after a Philadelphia Eagles victory over the commanders and the fans and pretty good core of Philadelphia fans. Washington and Philly aren't that far apart. They'd all come down for the game. They're leaning over to shake hands, and heck, the railing gave away. Fans were falling <laughs> down on the, into the runway, and Hurts, to his credit, said, hey, what is this? Good gracious, people are injured and all that sort of yeah. thing. I think they were playing in Oakland, Ala- Oakland Alameda Coliseum, the way you're talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, Josh referred to this, and I, I thought it was interesting because we got a little bit of background on this this season for the first time. The, the gadget plays, the trick plays, which I, I don't mind as much. I, I think they, the Chiefs, especially this season, confined those to goal line. They didn't use them too many times outside of goal line situations with the team. But the way that apparently that works is that the offensive players go alone without a coach and work something up, and then they present it to the coaches, and if the coaches agree – it goes into the playbook, and it can be used during the game. And I kind of like that mm. involving the players in some of these decisions. And I, for the most part this season, I thought the, the gadget plays worked for the Chiefs. Well, they did, and I think your premise is exactly right. This is a player's – the coaches don't dream up trick plays like that. It's the players who do, and then you're right. I think they present it to the official staff and, hey, what do you think? Do you think this will work? Yeah, it might. Mike, let's give it a try in a certain time, certain time element. But, yeah, that, that's probably correct. Do we have too many of the gadget plays? No, because that adds yes. a level of, of a, <laughs> a great amount of excitement to the games, and it does bring in the fans, kind of like you know, the home run in, in baseball. What are they going to do today? And Well, the Chiefs made it work in the Super Bowl game by suckering Philadelphia's defensive backfield out with the – wide receiver going out and then coming back in, and it happened in consecutive plays on either side of the field, and Philly was absolutely bamboozled by the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you throw in those things, and they do help. It's not it's not just for the fans' purpose. It's for winning your games. I I, they, I, go ahead. I was going to say, they work, they work enough that they're, they're going to – I think they continue to be a thing. We are one – catastrophic failure away from never seeing them again. The one time they do the ring around the rosy and the ball gets snapped over someone's head right. and that gets returned for a touchdown, they will never run another one again. Is my a flat opinion. pass and the defender comes along and goes 98 or 99, whatever it is, untouched for it. Yeah, or right. Mahomes runs a route and gets smoked by a <laughs> linebacker whose eyes go this big because he sees an opportunity. Well, I I personally like them. I think they're I think they're great. They add something to the game, and I'm an advocate for the Statue of Liberty play. So <laughs> let's see that brought back into the NFL. We'll come back and talk more about all sorts of sports here on Ned Talk.
You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Sitting around on a Sunday afternoon with some friends, just watching some baseball, talking some sports. That is Ned Talk. I'm Joe Weston with Ned Reynolds, Alex Scott, Josh Roberts, and Ned has uh, got something up his sleeve here. This is for my friend Mr. Roberts over here, who is, number one, a Drury grad, but also an avowed fan of the Alabama Crimson Tide. It's true. Alabama's football program is legendary. We all know about it. Alabama's basketball team is fluctuating between one, two, and three in the country. Mm-hmm. They are they are a very, very talented basketball Having team. Having a great season. Now, Mr. Roberts, my question to you is this. If you were the head coach, if you were Coach Oates, who is the head coach at Alabama, mm-hmm. and you had your star player on the team, a guy who hit 41 the other night against South Carolina, hit 24 yesterday against Arkansas, a guy who's your leading scorer named Brandon Miller, who was under suspicion in a murder charge, would you be playing him now if you were the head coach? Now, again, you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. I do. I'm, I, I will defend that to the to my death, which could be here in the next couple of hours. <laughs> but would you play him? That is, that's a tough question because I feel like if this was a professional uh, sport – I would say you play him until he gets indicted. Uh, collegiate athletics are a little bit different. There's all kinds of rules and regulations, and I, where does that fall under the rules and regulations? If you're if you're a person of interest in some criminal case, does that disqualify you by NCAA rules? I, I honestly don't know. Do you? I do not. There is there is no rule that says that he can't. It's it's nothing like that. Right. But I'm thinking more like the ethical yes uh, substances involved here. And 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 do you do you expose a kid like that to enemy territory, which he he received a written, they held him to 41 in South Carolina, but the fans were on his case. Really yeah. affected him badly. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he's going to be vilified in every oh, yeah. every uh, arena that he's in. I. I think if I was the head coach, I feel like I would have more information about the whole situation. If I felt like he was indeed part of this murder situation, I would would not play him. But that opens yourself up. Like, if for some reason you suspend this player or you bench this player and then it turns out that he is exonerated or, or not a person of interest any longer – does he have grounds to sue you because of lost playing time? I don't think so. Lost, not, not, uh, not in a sport where allegedly you're not paid. Right, I don't think right. that's the case. I personally probably wouldn't play him if I thought that he was part of that situation. If I truly felt that he was innocent, I'd keep playing him. His lawyer, and the kid's name is Brandon Miller, and he is a really fine player. He's an All-American. He's the top player on the Alabama team. His lawyer says had nothing to do with it. Uh, is not even involved, but he did own the gun that was used in the murder and allegedly Oof. sold the gun to another individual. Now, this is all they said, he yeah. said, and so forth and so on. In my opinion, if I were the coach, no, I'd sit him down and say, look, until this is resolved, you're, you're, we're going to miss you oh, greatly from the team. 
but we don't think it's a really good idea to expose you to the public and, and their reaction to that. That's, that's what I would do. Yeah, and I, like, I'm a little wishy-washy on it, I'll admit. And not because I'm an Alabama fan, but because I, as a head coach, I don't I, – you would want to protect that kid. Sure. But you'd also if – if you feel like he's not involved in it in some way, then you also want to put out your best team sure. to win. Of so course. that is that's a tough situation to be in. Well, it's it's an unusual set of circumstances oh, yeah. because he has not been charged with anything. But I think the the facts have bared themselves out that there was a murder. Mm-hmm. The weapon used in the murder was supplied by him. It was sold to a friend, a former Alabama basketball player, right? To him or given to him is the what I know of the events. So, it, you know, this is not the kind of thing that you get taught anywhere when you have to deal with this stuff. And coaching has changed so much over the last few years that, you know, you almost have to hire a lawyer to to be your head coach to kind of deal with some of that stuff. At times, yeah. I mean, uh, situations like this are starting to arise more often, it seems, which is unfortunate. Uh, But, yeah, it puts the coaches in a bad situation. You have to be a psychologist and a teacher and a coach. And now, like you said, an attorney. <laughs> it's a lot of hats to wear. It is. It is a lot of things going on in sports like that. Let's let's shift gears and talk about some of the other stuff that's that's happening in sports. One thing that I, I wanted to get back to with uh, Major League Baseball is that the umpires. There's a now a fifth official who sits upstairs and watches, takes care of the clock, and he has a buzzer that is on the arm of the home plate umpire that allows that umpire to feel something when there is a clock violation or when they're getting close and they need to watch more closely for that. Also, this is the first year that the umpires can communicate with each other uh, with, without being in the center of the field altogether. They can talk to each other wirelessly throughout the ballpark. I think those are interesting and good changes for the game. I agree. To- I think it's a very positive change, especially the one in which the pitch clock, which is all new, and uh, takes a little bit less of the concentration on the home plate umpire to concentrate more on his balls and strikes and other levels of uh, adjudication in the game as opposed to having another sideline out there on the field, the clock. He can have somebody watching it for him and feels that little uh, the buzz on his arm. like it's what, I think it's three seconds or so, somewhere around there. And then uh, he can make a call from that point on. I, I agree. I think it's a good one. How long do you think it'll be before we see at the major league level no home plate umpire? I think it'll be quite a while, in all honesty, before we do. That's not to say that you will not see it used, but there's going to be an umpire, even if they do throw in the robo-ump, the one behind home plate, there's going to be a human at the controls and helping that robot to overcome any kind of deficiencies that might be around. So the human element won't completely, at least in my opinion, completely be dissolved out of baseball. But in terms of the usage of it, I don't think that's too very far away, in all honesty. Can you imagine, uh, I mentioned Earl Weaver earlier, (laughs) and if you're my age, which Alec is completely lost in Earl Weaver, (laughs) I'm sorry, but but legendary arguments with umpires. Oh, yeah. Just kicking dirt and doing all, throwing his hat and getting right in the face of umpires. Can you imagine Earl Weaver screaming at uh, C-3PO? At a a computer, at a computer or a robot down there. Poor Earl would, and he's no longer with us now, but he would 
he would have passed away way ahead of time <laughs> if that were the case because his frustration level and his language that he used on the field, it wasn't, ah, shucks, oh, come on. <laughs> no, it was he was once called the king of the garbage mouths well, yeah, or toilet mouths in yeah. his case. I, for one, like to see a robot argument. I think here recently even, you know, in – I don't remember which sport it was, but often it's not the it's not the ref on the field that's making the call. They're calling into someone who's off site, and they made a call against the coach. And he went up there and he started yelling at the ump. And he's like, "It wasn't me." And he was like, well, "Give me that headset. I want to <laughs> yeah. let me give that guy a piece of my mind." <laughs> right. When we come back, we'll uh, talk a bit a little bit about the NFL draft and tell you what we're going to watch on TV this afternoon. It's Ned Talk on one hundred four point seven The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. We're sitting around watching baseball, talking sports on this Sunday afternoon. Ned, I... Ask a question last week after you left, and uh, everybody said it was a pretty good question, so I thought I'd share it with you. What do you think? Do you think the Chiefs package up some of those draft picks and uh, maybe try to trade up and get somebody else in the draft? There's there's some thought that they'll do that. Well, I think everything everything is on the table as far as Kansas City's concerned. I'll tell you, in my opinion, what they need, and that is a little bit of depth, certainly they need depth. Every pro team in the country needs depth. But they also need some help with the defensive backs. I know they're young and they have several all pros, but I'll tell you, guys like Juan Thornhill and people like that are getting long a tooth now. And even though it's basically a young D-back group, they do need some help back there, at least in my opinion they do. Need some help on the offensive line. Surprisingly, they played well against Philadelphia, played very well, shut down Philadelphia's huge pass rush. But this is pro football, and your rate of attrition is just so great. You've got to have depth. You've got to have backups there. I don't, Joe, I don't think going for one player is something that they need. They don't have that. They have the one player on their team, and that's Patrick Mahomes. He's the catalyst of the whole thing, offense, defense, special teams. He is the answer. When he's going well, the Chiefs will go, uh, go well, and he's going to go well most of the time. So in terms of one player, no, but in terms of depth, that's how I see the Chiefs going. Isaiah Pacheco, I guess, would be the obvious choice for Rookie of the Year for Mm -hmm. the Kansas City Mm -hmm. Chiefs. Any other rookies that you look at in this last draft class that made a big impact other than him, people might not think of off the top of their head? I'm going to bow to Alec here because he covers it a whole lot more closely (laughs) than I do. I don't have... No, uh, no specific rookie in mind who would really overshadow what what Pacheco did. Heck, he was he was the he was the catalyst, the, the go the the running game. He was it. I would agree. Like it's Pacheco's the obvious choice, and there's really hardly an argument. But past him, I I would probably go Trent McDuffie. Yeah, and in the defensive secondary, just because uh, like. I didn't hear his name a ton, but a lot of times if you're a defensive back, that's about as good a game as you can be having. If we're not calling your name, you're not doing anything that merits bringing attention to you, and that means the guy you're covering is not doing anything that that merits bringing attention. 
So I would go McDuffie. I thought he played really well down the stretches and, you know, was growing, continues to grow. Didn't have to be the number one corner, got to kind of take it all in in stride. Karloftis had a solid year, I think, as well. But ultimately, I would give it to McDuffie as my runner-up with Pacheco being the obvious rookie of the year for the Chiefs. Josh? Karloftis is who I was going to bring up because I think he had a really solid rookie season and he was very important to that defensive line because his ability is what helped Clark and uh, Jones Jones Jones. do their thing. (laughs) Goodness, brain fart there. But I agree. Pacheco, number one with a bullet for rookie of the year, definitely. But then I would say Karloftis is my second. I read an article. uh, Somebody said that Tony – it has unlimited potential in the Chiefs' offense. I think the key to that guy is health. There's yeah. no question oh, about sure. it. He was injured every week, it seems, with the New York Giants. But in, in all fairness, that those injuries may have been more supratentorial, which is the medical term for uh, in his head, is somewhere along the line, be, because he, had, he did have some with the Chiefs, that's true. And he is one of these tightly muscled individuals who is going to have – hamstring pulls, and other injuries as such. But a guy has a lot of talent, an awful lot of talent. And had the Chiefs not gotten that 61, 62-yard punt return from him, no telling what might have happened. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, baseball, I'm right now. We're watching the Cardinals and Miami play. Skip Schumacher took over as their coach. You guys might be familiar with him. Oh, yeah. He is a former uh, Redbird guy, Redbird bench man. I think he set. Yep. Right behind the guy last year. So good to see him getting a chance at baseball. So this is what we kind of do in the offseason, Alec. I don't know if you were with us. I don't remember when you came in with us. But we, we pick what we watch in the afternoon. So uh, we start with Ned. Ned, what are you going to watch this afternoon? I think probably I, when, uh, when I do get home, I'll tune in a little bit to see what the Bears are doing against Indiana State. This is the final regular season game. And then the tournament, the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, begins on Thursday up in St. Louis. And the Bears are already locked into playing on Thursday. Eight teams play on Thursday. Four have a first-round bye. And Missouri State is not one of them. So they'll play on Thursday, meaning that if they get to the championship, they'll have to win four games in four days. And that Mm. is awfully, awfully Mm. tough to do. All right, so I'll see Bears-Indiana State, see if they're prepped and ready to go. It's been a very interesting team, inconsistent. Then I'll probably watch a little bit of this and – also kind of interested in the baseball Bears, too, because they're a pretty good little baseball team. Yeah, what about you, Alec? Uh, probably go home, watch some some more of this Cardinal game, uh, but I think I think there's a nap in my future. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, this, yeah, this yeah. dreary day, I, yeah. I don't think I see the end of this one. Yeah, what about you, Josh? I don't know what I'm going to watch. I mean, I, I want to watch some baseball, but I've got, I've got to run some errands first, so... I don't know if I'll get back in time to watch it unless there's uh, another game on after this one. Wait a minute, are your errands uh, that you're going in New York City or Chicago? No, or I just how late is the spring training baseball on every day? Well, it runs all day. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll thing about it baseball, I'll find it's some of it. baseball. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That is a good thing about baseball is yeah. there's always a game on somewhere. It's on all the time. I got to go home and watch my beloved Yankees play this afternoon. So uh, they're playing the Braves. Yep, four nothing over the Braves. Nice. If you are just tuning in and thinking, man, I missed out on this riveting conversation, <laughs> you can download it as a podcast through our website at 1047thecave.com. Wherever you get your podcast at, just search for Ned Talk, or you can find it on your Cave smartphone app. Ned, see you next week. Yes, sir. Alec, see you next week. And tomorrow. Josh, see you next week. I'll be here. 
You notice we had a great show today, and what was different from the past few weeks? Jake wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, kid. don't pin it on him. Jake's we, we, a good we, guy. We kid because we love. That's All right, true. guys. Thanks to Corbin Campbell, Brian Tyndall, Mike the Intern, and Nick Fury. See you guys next Sunday.